0: Hey you guys, it's Stephanie Colvin coming to you from Southern California, and I am your host for LDS Real People, Real Lives. This week's podcast is probably going to be a two-parter, um, starting off with the uh Story of My Husband, the topic for this podcast this week is conversion, and it will be the same topic next week because I really received so much awesome, fantastic material, and it just cannot be missed, but I don't want to make these podcasts so long that you guys don't listen because it's such important information, just the love and the passion that these people have for truth, for the knowledge that we're given through Jesus Christ and his gospel is found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Conversion is truly something that is a process and it happens to us many times throughout our lives and we need to remember that. I think that you know we can have moments where we have very powerful experiences but there's usually something that you've done to lead you up. To those moments of very powerful experiences. And so I really have come to understand that it's the process that we invest, the effort that we put into it, that allows us to have these wonderful moments that just stick so much in our hearts, in our spirits. In our very core and just is completely undeniable and is just filled with truth. So I'm so very excited to be doing this topic this week, and I just absolutely am grateful for the guidance of the Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God that just continues to guide and direct me because I really work very hard at inviting the Spirit into my life and doing the best that I can to live a life where the Spirit wants to dwell with me. Because believe you me, I am am not perfect. I have a lot of things that I'm working on, but um, I do believe in the practice of repentance. And I know that through Christ's love and ransom that he paid for me, for you, for all of us that have come to this earth, truly is meaningful. And God wants us to use that wonderful gift of the atonement so that we can find peace from the experiences that we've had in our lives, that we can find a break from the pressures and the stresses and even the frustrations and the burdens of the things that we may find ourselves doing are the choices that we made. I wanted to start off telling you a little story about one of my sons. He started a position um, in a construction company last year and he was 24 years old. Um, And he was really a newbie to that kind of world. He had done some jobs before that were very hard, difficult jobs, the typical jobs that really no one wants to do, that most young adults end up doing to start their careers and get moving with experience and having some sort of resume. But this position was truly something where he was just surrounded with other men on job sites with varying personalities uh, various you know ways of getting things done and uh, so it was a good schooling for him and as he started to get trained and the months passed by I noticed that he was coming home more and more just completely frustrated just really having issues with some of the guys and the job site and I you know what I've noticed especially because I come from a family filled of men Um, And then, of course, my dad worked in a large environment with just a bunch of guys, and he did that for over 30 years. And he would share stories of kind of what they would do and the silly things that they would do, but sometimes they can just take it too far, and my son is just... He's very aware of his surroundings and he feels a lot. So he feels the things that people say and do. So if they're uplifting and happy, he just absorbs it like a sponge. If they're negative and kind of mean, he absorbs that like a sponge too. So I remember there was a good month where every week he was coming home every day from work and we would have to talk about and sit down about what was going on in that day and try to discuss, well, you know, what can we choose to do or the attitude to have in order to be able to bear this experience, to grow from it, and to be able to learn from it and somehow mold ourselves to make it work without sacrificing who we are. And so we would have these wonderful conversations. And because of that, he and I got very, very close. But... Um, what I saw happen was he went from wanting to walk away from the job and going somewhere else, finding another job and just trying to make the most of his life um, to under good counsel from his mom, uh, trying to handle it in a manner and a way where he could deflect with humor. um, Maybe silence is the best policy sometimes. And just to try to continue to be himself, not to lose himself in the midst of this experience. So as time continued to tick on by, lo and behold, I started to see my son kind of go through his own conversion process as he developed from a young man or should I say a young boy into a man? And all of a sudden, he was able to start speaking up for himself. Um, sometimes handling the issues that would, you know, show up on the work site with just remaining silent, not allowing these people to push his buttons and to say things. You know, he can't control what he they say, but he can control how he feels in his response. But it took him a while. He had to go through a lot of pushing and pulling and stretching and some of his own little pain and anger and sorrow about it before he was converted to what he needed to do, which was to simply be himself, continue to be his loving, happy self, because he's constantly walking around with a smile on his face, and don't allow their banter and crude jokes to... Um, put a damper in his mood. And after a while, more time would go by. And he would tell me how he was handling it, how he chose to walk away, go to a different building, do work there, um, or even was able to come back and talk to people and say, Hey, you know, you guys did this to me and it wasn't cool. And to develop this camaraderie and this friendship with these guys, who at first, he wanted to just quit and walk away. But he had to go through, well, it takes guts and strength to stick it out. And he had to go through that experience of... Figuring it out, figuring out people, the relationships, the job site, the reporting structure, what he could and could not get away with when he was responding to some of the, I really don't know what word to use. I say taunting, but... I think that guys, especially when they're all together, they kind of like to joke with each other, and unfortunately, it can be done in very hurtful and cruel ways, and so he was able to go through those experiences and really come out the other side a changed person. Uh, His heart was changed. His mind was changed. There was so much maturity that he acquired within a year of working at this job site, and an understanding and respect for what they were doing, because they were all hard workers. They were very, very, very good examples as far as the work ethic was concerned. But then because he started to be converted to how he needed to behave, the things that he needed to do and what was within his control, he ended up developing these wonderful relationships where he's got a number of contacts to continue to provide employment for him while he's pushing through school. So needless to say, being his mom and watching him just grow and spread his wings has just been a wonderful experience. But I share this story, because that's kind of what conversion is about, is we have to be pushed, we have to be prodded, we have to be stretched, we have to be taken out of our comfort zone and willing to go out into, um, you know, maybe the dark dark spaces that we don't really know what's going to happen, we don't really know what to expect, but pushing forward faithfully, just trusting the process, trusting what's going to happen and what we have to look forward to, and just believing in ourselves as we continue to stay close to the Lord and do the best that we can. There's a number of people who have conversion experiences in their lives where they're not necessarily spiritual. Um, But that doesn't mean that they are not entitled to the mercy and grace uh, that, you know, Father and our Savior Jesus Christ have for them. Um, Sometimes they don't even understand what they need because they just or even what's available to them as far as that type of knowledge, the spiritual knowledge, because people just simply don't know what they don't know. It's our job to come here and to forget where we were from and then figure out at some point when we start to ask those questions, what is the purpose here? What are we meant to do? Where did we come from and where are we going? And so, you know, as I was talking to, first of all, my husband who has an awesome conversion story, and then secondly, my really good friends uh, Kim and Linda who also shared their conversion story, and this is why this particular episode will be a two-part episode on conversion. Um, so I just wanted to share that with you, and I really love this uh, scripture. It's a couple of scriptures found in Mosiah chapter twenty-seven. Uh, verses 25 and 26. And the Lord said unto me, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people must be born again. Yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters, and thus they become new creatures." And unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Beautiful. So beautiful. So this is what I get from those scriptures. We are meant to come down here and have these experiences and figure out who we are, where we came from, and where we want to go. It is our job to find our mission here, the way that we can prove ourselves, that we can go back and live once again with our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Mother, our Savior Jesus Christ, and our family. At some point in our lives, we have something that happens where we start to figure out there's got to be more and there's something else that I need to pursue to find out these answers. And that has to do with conversion, We must be born again. We must be born anew and fresh from that fallen mortal state of focusing on our wants and needs to the righteous, enriching, edifying, beautiful new creature state. And that's what happens when you invite the Lord, His gospel, and Heavenly Father into your life. Your heart changes, your mind changes, the way you think changes, the way you talk changes. You know, I used to be somebody that cursed like a sailor, and uh, I just don't talk like that anymore. It slips out from time to time. I quickly repent, and I just stay focused and just do the best that I can. There's another scripture that I wanted to share and Matthew chapter 7, and I just love this, and I think I shared this in the Power of Prayer episode, um, but we need to remember this because as we're, we're trying to find out these answers to these questions, um, and a lot of times we're not even looking because we don't even know that we need these answers, and it can just plop on our lap. Um, what I've seen with the conversion stories that I've heard and I've been aware of, there's always this point where they have rejected the Word of God. They have rejected any type of religion, any type of spirituality, and it's okay. It's okay for them to do that. Uh, More often than not, that's what they're going to do at first because they just don't know what they don't know. They don't know how much the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to change their lives and going to enrich their lives, bless their lives, and give them so much. That is truly, as that scripture says, the blessings pour from heaven more than one can receive. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a wonderful story that I read about conversion. It's called Converted for Life from the October 2016 General Conference. And this is a story um, by Joshua Oram, who lives in Arizona. And he was on his mission in Nicaragua. And one day he had been walking with his companion and he passed a well-kept property with a garden. And he said, somebody I want to contact that at that house. Then suddenly he stopped. Wait a second. Today might be that day. Look, there's a man in the garden. Let's go talk to him. So they were filled with trepidation, um, not sure how he was going to receive them. Uh, the guy, from what I understand from the story, was just a very large, intimidating man, and he did not greet them with open, welcoming arms. But he did reluctantly agree to allow them to come and sit on the porch, but he made it very clear that he was merely being, you know, polite, and that he would speak with him only, but not his whole family. So they sat down, and the man, as customary, went inside and grabbed them some water, and when the the gentleman went inside to get the water, there's this discussion that takes place between these two missionaries. "'Doesn't look good,' I said. "'Yeah,' my companion agreed. "'He seems polite but not receptive, and we really should be looking for whole families to teach.' Let's make it quick, I suggested. We'll just give him a pamphlet rather than teach a whole discussion. Five minutes and we're out. Sounds good, said the other companion. That just cracks me up because we always think that we know best, or at least we have an idea. So the story goes on to talk about how the gentleman returned with the drinks. Um, He explained that his name was Camilo. And as the missionaries sipped on their drinks and made small talk, all of a sudden... This one missionary received a wonderful impression that he should stay and teach Camilo a full discussion about the restoration of the gospel. So he thought to himself, okay, I'll give it a try. But how to let my companion know about the change of plan? Because remember, they had a plan in place to exit stage left quickly. So he looks at his companion and to his shock and surprise, his companion looks at him and he nods at him knowingly, as if to say, yeah, we should stay and let's teach a folk discussion. Forty-five minutes later, they were so anxious and ready to abandon ship because Camilo was combative. He would challenge them on every point. And at one point, they had used a poor choice of wording and it had offended Camilo and he nearly shouted at them in anger. He was upset. So at that point, the missionaries wanted to make a quick exit. They felt like they needed to go and go quickly. They offered him a Book of Mormon. And, you know, Camilo was good hearted about it. He did accept it with a disclaimer that he was, of course, this was the letdown to the missionaries, only interested in searching it for errors, which he would be sure to highlight in case missionaries ever called on him again. As a ward missionary, I can't tell you how many times I've experienced this, and I've seen it happen quite a few times, and it's even happened with my own uh, family when we've tried to share the gospel. So going back to the story, they say that confusion and frustration lingered for the rest of the day. You know, why had the Spirit prompted them to stay when the result had been so disastrous? Um, they comforted themselves with the thought that, you know, their job was only to plant the seed and that something might come of it years later, but they simply had to trust the spirit and, um, they had never found out why they had been prompted to teach that lesson, but eventually the next morning they did. The next morning, they were ready for another day of contacting. It was hot. This is, you know, tropical weather. They step out of their house, and they were surprised when the door nearly struck. Someone waiting on the porch. And there stood Camilo, red-faced and out of breath, because he had run all the way from his house when the sun started to come up that morning. But the missionaries instantly felt a flash of fear, because here was this big guy who might still be angry at their doorstep. So Camilo tells him, he says, I apologize, elders. I'm out of breath because I just ran all the way here from my house. I left as soon as the sun came up, and the missionaries were absolutely speechless. Camilo went on to say, last night I sat down to read the book you left me, and I was still so upset. I felt sure that I'd easily spot the falsehood in its words. But within five minutes of reading, I felt something unlike anything I've ever felt. I read the chapter you left me, then started from the beginning and read all through one Nephi. I know this Book of Mormon has the truth. I came here to ask you to please return to my home and teach me everything. I want to be baptized into your church. And sure enough, two weeks later, Camilo and his eight-year-old son were humbly baptized in a large drum behind their house. I'm going to briefly describe the rest of the story. Camilo's testimony testimony continued to grow, and it became stronger. Um, He had a lot of opposition from family and friends about joining the church. When he went to go pay tithing, he had a, a family member actually attack him with a knife. And Camilo defended himself by grabbing the blade with his bare hands, And then showed up to church to deliver the tithing envelope, but his fingers were bandaged from grabbing that knife. What determination and courage, Camilo demonstrated, for the truth. So what accounted for his commitment? He definitely was not baptized to be polite or because he liked the missionaries or because he was afraid to say no. So the only conclusion left was that he had an amazing experience when he read the Book of Mormon. And when he read the Book of Mormon, his heart had changed literally overnight. Um, Camila was serving as first counselor in the branch presidency and had never missed a, a Sunday at church since the day that he was baptized. Now that missionary did return home and many years later he was recounting that story about camilo to uh you know the guys in the elders quorum lesson that he was teaching and one of the brothers raised their hand and asked him you know whatever happened to camilo is he still active well you know the missionary josh he didn't know because he had lost contact with him and so He decided that he was going to reach out to Camilo, but he didn't really know how to do that. So he asked Heavenly Father through prayer to help him know how that, you know, to get in touch with Camilo. So Josh had waited uh, until the next morning and he woke up and he found a message on his computer from Camilo. And He explained how the night before he had finally decided to try out an online social media site. And the first person he had thought to contact was Josh, his missionary, uh, who was one of the two missionaries that taught him and baptized him. So he wrote back to Camilo with just utter excitement and asked if he was still active in the church. And it took a day or two for him to hear back from Camilo. But Camilo finally responded and he said, yes, yes. Uh, Of course, he was still active in the church. In fact, he was happy to report that he had recently been set apart as the branch president. His wife was the primary president, and they had more children who were now being raised in the gospel. And he expressed his gratitude for changing his life all those years ago. His life has changed. His heart had changed deeply and profoundly. Um, And that's the power of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon was given to us at this time to be a converter. People who are open and as evidenced by the story, even people who are not open, when they read that Book of Mormon, miracles can happen. And the truth can be found and their spirits can be awakened. Because remember, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. The greatest tool that we have is the Book of Mormon. President Ezra Taft Benson taught, combined with the Spirit of the Lord, the Book of Mormon is the greatest tool which God has given us to convert the world. If we are to have the harvest of souls, we must use the instrument which God has designed for the task, the Book of Mormon. There is a difference between a convert who is built on the rock of Christ through the Book of Mormon and stays hold of the iron rod and one who is not. So powerful. No matter if you're raised in the gospel, you're active in the gospel your whole life, you're raised in the gospel, you fall away and you come back. You're raised in the gospel, you fall away and you don't come back. No matter what your situation is. We have to have many conversion experiences. And I have found through my study of conversion experiences that I've read, it seems to be the process that really does the conversion, and then you have that moment that is just unforgettable. But that process is just as important, because in order to be converted to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have to be awakened to that truth. You have to put an effort. You have to have some skin in the game. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't, and and that desire is not there, it's just not going to happen because everything starts with a desire. So right now I'm so excited that I get to share a interview that I did with my loving, sweet, kind, and very faithful and devoted husband, Jed Colvin. And here he is. Hey Bebs.
1: Hey Babes, how are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing good. It's so nice to have you on the podcast. Thanks. I really appreciate you coming on and
1: uh, I was uh, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I love having you here, Bebs. Okay, so My husband, Jed Colvin, he is uh, going to share a little story with you guys, and this is all about his conversion. So Jed, tell me a little bit about yourself growing up, your young adult life, whatever you'd like to share. Who was Jed Colvin before he found the gospel of Jesus Christ as found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints?
1: Okay, well, um, you know, growing up, I was I was born and raised in a town called Saugus, which is inside the Santa Cruz Valley, about uh, 30 miles north of Los Angeles. Um, I remember having a really stressful childhood, but super blessed at the same time. Stressed because I had some mental challenges that uh, that hadn't been diagnosed and I didn't know exactly what I was dealing with nor did my, nor did my parents. So uh, I kind of struggled. Um, my parents always called me the worry wart because I, I was always worried and stressed about something. Um, but like I said, with that, I also had a very blessed childhood, very loving and caring parents that took great care of me and they were heavily involved in all aspects of my life. I mean, I remember just just kind of feeling that I was doted on by my parents, by my grandparents. I mean, they made me feel really special, and that's a nice feeling to have when you're when you're growing up, when you're so young. You know, I didn't really have any early religious education. I remember going to an Episcopalian church every so often, but. You know, we didn't talk about the gospel and the family. Um, it wasn't a real focus in our life. And and, uh, <clears throat> and we stopped going to church. Um, I think, or for some reason, my parents didn't like about uh, something that was going on within the church. I don't remember exactly. But for us growing up, our focus was school and sports. And that's, that's what I remember the most is I, I loved playing sports. Um, that's what I really cherished kind of growing up is that I was a, I was a good athlete and everything that I participated in. Um, and I did really well in all the sports that I was in and, and it made me feel accomplished for my sports endeavors. And then my, my parents and grandparents enjoyed watching me uh, participate in sports. So, um, my parents were always helping me with school. Of course school was important. Um, but i always wanted to uh i always wanted to train or work out in whatever i was doing at that time so even to this day um i my my passion is living the gospel and working out
0: heck yeah
1: (laughs) um well let me continue so at age 14, I started training and racing in triathlons, which is swimming, biking, and running. My parents were runners, so they got me into running very young. And then I used to be on a swim team, so I just had to uh, kind of add cycling in there, which I took up really, really quickly and easily. And I always enjoyed the endorphin rush from endurance sports. That's, I loved pushing myself physically. Um, By age 19, I had made the US Junior National Triathlon Team and spent uh, multiple trips at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, training for the 1995 Olympic Distance World Triathlon Championships. So that was cool. Um, After racing in the World Championships, I continued to train and race. Raced as a professional for a few years while I was going to college at California Lutheran University in Southern California while studying political science. Um, so eventually I knew I couldn't make a career out of triathlon racing and I didn't really have an interest in going to law school like my dad. So my parents encouraged me to go in the direction of being A teacher, a history teacher. So teaching runs in the family. We've got lots of teachers in our family. My grandmother, my mother, my sister, were all teachers. My cousin is a teacher and even found out that I have a lot of teachers in the family from generations ago while we were uh, doing some family history work.
0: That was really cool. Yeah,
1: from my side of the family. So I come from a family of teachers. Um, Plus, my parents knew that I would like the schedule. I knew with the with the school schedule that I would have some some good time off and I would have time to enjoy my athletic pursuits. And I remember the most as a child. my dad um, you know worked a, a lot, and uh, my mom was always on the school schedule and my dad was always jealous when my mom had the summer off and we would visit my grandparents um, in New Hampshire and Uh, And I always remembered that as a kid, that he was always jealous of my mom's schedule.
0: Well, yeah, because he was stuck at home, still working.
1: Yeah. And you
0: guys got to take off and go and have some fun.
1: Exactly. So, um, I started teaching in my early 20s. Got my first job when I was 22, about to turn 23. And I've been at the same school since. Uh, just finished up 21 years of teaching social science at, uh, at the high school where I began um, in Southern California. Um, when I was younger, I, I always had a friend growing up who was, who was LDS and we actually raced triathlons together. We would train and race from ages like 14 to 18 years old before he went on his mission. Um, and I always remember him being a really good kid and a really good role model. We never talked about faith. We never talked about the church. I went to church with him once, um, but we never talked about religion or anything anything like that. Um, but we do now. Um, he's, he's still a good friend of mine that lives in Utah. And surprisingly, I knew lots of kids that were LDS when I was in high school that I uh, trained with especially on cross country and track teams that i didn 't didn 't know until much later on uh, in life, learning basically from uh, from my friend Wayne, my original friend um, but anyways i uh, I stopped doing triathlons when I started teaching and started to focus on my surfing and lifting weights so um was a little bit thinner, being an endurance athlete, so I wanted to put a little bit of muscle on. Uh, I've always needed a physical outlet because I just I really do enjoy pushing myself physically, not so much mentally. I say not mentally because um, at about age 26, I was finally diagnosed as having severe uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, BDD and anxiety. Um, Because of these challenges, uh, I kind of enjoyed and immersed myself in physical activities to keep my mind busy. You know, my mental issues have always been a source of drive for me because OCD is a taskmaster, um, but also a source of, of real suffering. So I have my own bitter cup, you know, as we like to say in the church. When I met you, Stephanie, I was coming out of a dark time in my life, just coming out of a real severe depression due to a massive trial in my life. And without going into the details, um, let's just say mental illness hasn't always been understood or empathized with, and still has a long way to go today. But I can look back at even those times of struggle and despair and see God's loving hand in my life.
0: See, that's what I really enjoy about your story, is that you always seem to be able to identify Heavenly Father's hand in your life, which I think it also talks about that in your patriarchal blessing that His hand has been over your life through the good times and the dark times.
1: You know, that... That patriarchal blessing truly is a real Liahona um for us. And that that's a that was a real game changer getting my patriarchal blessing and hearing what Heavenly Father, you know, thinks of me and, and my Savior, what they think of me and and uh
0: really personalizing it. Right. And it's making it very, about you. very personal. So, Jed, I you know, I've always enjoyed your story. Your background is so different than mine. Um, tell me what brought you into the gospel, maybe how you found the gospel, and share some of that story with us, please.
1: Okay. You know, I, I always enjoy, I guess, sharing my testimony. I, I've enjoyed being a, a ward missionary with you for several years now. Well, we've had other callings, but uh, I, I enjoy the ward missionary, missionary calling. But anyways, before I met you, babe, um my dad had kind of had a spiritual awakening. Uh found Christ um and uh um he originally gave me a book called Meet the Bible. Uh basically kind of for beginners, so people that had never really studied the Bible before. And it was a good intro for me. Uh, I would read read parts of the book and it uh you know, I had uh, had ideas for different scriptures, and and it was really uh, supported by lots of love and encouragement from my dad. But not until I met you, Steph, did I really have any spiritual talks with anybody. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily feel anything while I was reading that book. Yeah. Um. But I met you in August of two thousand eleven. And I remember, not long after we met, we would start to have some spiritual conversations, we would discuss prayer a little bit, God, Christ, uh, the Spirit, and how the Spirit works in our lives. Um, things that I didn't have any real knowledge about, like this was my, this was my pure introduction to spirituality at this you know, older age. Um, Although you were not in the gospel at the time and not engaged in the gospel, you definitely were a believer. Um, I didn't know you were part, you were raised in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but I but I eventually found out that you always knew the church was true. Yep. You just, you know, you were living life on your own terms a little bit. Yep. Um, but to continue, um, you would always, you would share that side of you with me. And I just remember when we would talk, it just, you know, you were well-spoken, well, well well-versed in, in just, I don't know, things, things of a spiritual nature, um, that you, you don't learn from necessarily reading books. It was just... It was the spirit, you know, that that I could feel, and I didn't I didn't know what that was at the time, but but I definitely felt the spirit when we would have those talks. Um, but you never said that you were Mormon, right. as as the world likes to call Latter Day Saints. Um, but we would go to your parents' home to visit for holidays, um, and I I remember I would ask your parents if I could you know check out some of the books that your dad had. Um, on the church and on religion. And then we would go to an LDS bookstore in Fresno and pick up some books there. And then, of course, my favorite um, is when I got to read the Ensign magazine. And uh, I loved, I loved the Ensign. The Ensign was delivered to our home because your mom got us a subscription for a year. So that was definitely inspired for, for her to do that for, for us. Yep. So I would read some of the different books, the Ensign. I would take notes, keep a journal of things that stuck out to me as being important. Um, I wasn't really reading scriptures, although there are scriptures in the Ensign. But the thing I remembered the most out of all my reading or studying or pondering was how I felt when I was reading these things and thinking about these things and writing these things down in my journal. They felt true and correct. It just felt right. It felt really good. And I hadn't experienced anything really like that before. Um, And that's what I remember the, the most. I could just feel it within my body, just the correctness of everything that I was reading and finally, uh, one holiday when we were at your parents' house, I had a real, really cool, memorable spiritual experience that I always like to share because it's it's not something that I have really had since. Um, so it makes me aware that you know it was a, it was a special moment. But anyways, I was I was sitting at the table reading, reading my different books from your dad and from the LDS bookstore and the Insign. I was taking my notes in the nook notebook. I was being very diligent, I guess, in my study and, and my journaling. And as I was doing that, I suddenly felt this warmth come over my body. Kind of like a like a nice warm blanket that had been wrapped around my body. And I felt a burning in my bosom, which, you know, is the chest. You know, when Joseph Smith talks about when he sees Moroni and he can see his, his bosom, you know, he's talking of his, of his chest. But I had that burning in my bosom, which I haven't felt really since. Um, And then I very clearly heard the words spoken in my mind, your home. Um, And it was so familiar feeling. Uh, It wasn't shocking or foreign. It was exactly what I needed to hear and to feel to know that I was in the exact right spot with the right woman, I was with the right family, I was in the right direction leading me to Heavenly Father's gospel. Um, and, and, and in talking to your dad the other night, I was talking about this experience that I had. And your dad being very heavily involved in the gospel, working at the temple, and mentioned that, you know, that experience is, is, is rare you know you, you you know to to really feel that that warmth and and that burning of the bosom and to receive uh the words i heard is you know i i haven't had an experience like i've had other wonderful spiritual experiences but nothing is nothing like that um so with that with that really cool spiritual experience that i had Um, Now, uh, it was at the point where your older brother had sent missionaries our way, um, and we began uh, taking the discussions in the summer of 2013, towards the end of the summer, right?
0: Yep.
1: Um, So every summer I had time, which was great, you know, with school being out, I had time to read and study the gospel and uh, within the books that kind of resonated with me, um, we had some rock star missionaries. They truly were the sister missionaries uh, for me that Heavenly Father picked out for me, uh, and we had them for months straight. Even though transfers transfer days came and went, they never left. Father had kept them in Ventura for me, knowing that I needed both of them and complete my conversion experience. At one point, uh, one of our missionaries, Sister Bennett, uh, a fiery redhead, um, told me that if I wanted to be baptized, uh, that we had to uh, get married, which I was ready to do. Everything felt normal and natural to me. I know you had uh, some... Uh, you know, little worries and concerns about it um, haven't been married twice right. before, uh but i i was I was on board. I was ready. <clears throat> so um i don't remember everything that we talked about during the discu- the discussions, but we did spend a lot of time reading and talking, and I read quite a bit. Um, but what I remember the most, once again, was how I felt like when the missionaries would come over, I would be on a spiritual high for days, just thinking, I, I can't wait till they come over next, because I don't, I don't know, I don't understand what this is that I'm feeling, but man, it feels so good. And I, and I constantly wanted that. So I always looked forward to, to them coming back. And you know whatever we were going to talk about next, but like I said, I don't, I couldn't even tell you everything that we talked about. I just, I just remember the feeling. Um. So Sister Bennett asked us to pray about getting married, and so I remember you did it on your own. Um, and when Sister Bennett came back with uh, Sister uh, Burwell, Burwell, that's right. <clears throat> um. They said that uh, you're going to get married in October. And I remember you said, you know what? I, I said a prayer about it too. And that's the answer that I also received. And of course, you know, I was, I was definitely ready. Um, so we knew it was October. So we were married on, a, on kind of a whirlwind weekend. On Friday, October 18th, I w- we were married. Um, I was baptized on Saturday, October 19th, and then confirmed a member of the church and given the gift of the Holy Ghost on Sunday, October 20th, all in 2013.
0: We did that quickly.
1: We did. Very
0: quickly. And it was our whirlwind weekend. Um, And then right after that, we did have several difficult months yes um because there must be opposition in all things and the and, good and
1: the... and the the adversary really really hammered down on me I, I remember both of us um and of course that was nothing that you know anybody had really told me about that when you're making steps in the right direction especially when you're looking into uh, Christ's true church um, that the adversary is really going to step up his game. And he did for a few months, but we battled through.
0: Yeah, it was okay because it gave us our opportunities to exercise our faith, to sharpen our faith, to hone our faith, and, and to learn how to use it in our lives, yeah. offense and defense.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, you know, but we know that our lives have been tremendously And also miraculously blessed since we made the decision to go all in. However, we also have come to know that by being taught truth and light comes a lot of responsibility. Tell us how you have stepped up to the plate, so to speak, as your life has changed, being so very blessed. But now, because of the wonderful truth, you have responsibilities to God and Christ. You know, just share that with us and and explain it to us a little bit.
1: Okay. You know, um, I, I think I feel like I'm able to notice subtle blessings pretty well in my life. And since meeting you and, and joining the church, I feel like there's been an abundance of Heavenly Father's guidance and loving care. Um, and I, I know, I can't remember where it says in Messiah, but it, Um, but it does talk about how when you've, you know, made these correct choices and and joined Christ's church, you know, you do get kind of like an an abundance maybe of, of heavenly father and Christ, you know, Mm -hmm. a little bit more awareness than maybe, you know,
0: um, well, you're focused and you're thinking and you're living differently.
1: Right, right.
0: Because that conversion is, it changed you.
1: Exactly. Um but i've I've also felt the responsibility of the truths that I've been taught uh, i I'm grateful for this knowledge um, you know however, understanding the responsibility of acting on the promptings of the spirit and uh, you know showing reverence to heavenly father and and Christ uh holding the priesthood of God um, is uh is something I take very seriously um, and and I know my father in heaven and, and my Savior require me to live a particular way, which is different from the world and and I take that very seriously just growing up i I always wanted to make my parents proud and be a good kid um, and I still want I want to be a good kid for for Heavenly Father and Christ as well I'm working on having a willing heart in serving the Lord and overcoming my insecurities when I'm called upon. Uh, Definitely not perfect in the gospel, uh, but I do try very hard. And I know that's all the Lord wants from me. I I was, uh, I'm I'm admonished in my patriarchal blessing to, uh, to not get so hard on myself for not doing things perfectly and to know that my savior is there to pick me up and bless me when I have lapses. So that's that's very helpful for me to remember that and read that. <clears throat> um, so I just do the best I can to, to Father and Christ and my family and, and others, depending on my callings. I, I try to say yes when they need me in the church. So far, I've always said yes. Yep. Um, I do have a a sincere desire to serve the Lord, but sometimes it can be tough with my OCD demanding of me to do something else. My OCD is a real taskmaster and can be very, very powerful. Um, I work daily at my faith and you, babe, are a wonderful support to me and good at reminding me about my faith and how to use it. In my life, that's what I'm always trying to work on is to, you know, put that faith to work. My life hasn't necessarily gotten easier, but it's been tremendously blessed in so many different ways. Yet I still have experiences and tough times which allow me to put that faith into action and unite with you, my wife, so we can always kind of push through together. So unity with you, my wife, is a huge part of my success. Um, I genuinely, like I said, I genuinely want to make Father and Christ happy with me. And that's that's a focus that I have daily.
0: I do too. And, uh, you know, our unity is definitely two ways. I I work very hard at being unified with you as well. And we take the our covenant that we made together in the temple very seriously, but we're not perfect. We make a lot of mistakes and we do live by the code of repentance that helps us to fall and do stupid mistakes and start again. So tell me, Jed, how do you stay all in? Like what keeps you going faithful, loyal to heavenly father and, and your savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Okay. So like I've already said, like I've already said, as a kid, the thing that I liked doing the most was making my parents proud of me. And that's what I wanna do every day with Heavenly Father and the Savior. I want them to be proud of me. Um, so it's, it's the blessings and the challenges that keep me all in. Like I can see better now all the blessings that are showered upon me and my family. Um, and it keeps me excited to, to, to stay on that covenant path and see what my life's gonna turn out to be like in the future. I mean, Heavenly Father and Christ have such a, such a better imagination than I do and you've always taught me that. Um, but uh, you know, my heart, my soul, my being has made the choice of who I follow and trust and that's, that's God and Christ's gospel as found in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And quite simply, I know I'm in the right place
0: beautiful bibs i really appreciate you sharing your story with us and you did an awesome job
1: thanks babe
0: so welcome to lds real people real lives
1: it's it was a little nerve-wracking but uh, i'm glad (laughs) i got it done able to help out i love you love you too
0: so that was my sweet very loving very faithful husband jed colvin who tries so hard And I just love him for giving his time, his testimony, his faith, and appreciate you guys joining us this week. You will not want to miss next week's either. Kim and Linda's uh, conversion story, their experience and what they shared is going to be just as exciting, just as powerful. So make sure that you guys check in with us next week. I always post Thursday nights, Friday mornings, and um, really looking forward to having a continued conversation about conversion and how it's just so important in our lives. We need it. We may not know that we want it, but we do. And it's such a beautiful thing to be reborn again, to have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of spirit, a change of life, and a change of focus. Who we are, where are we going And how do we want to return? So remember to be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You stay safe, stay healthy. And remember that you are so very loved by your Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given you all. Until next time.